Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Columbia, Missouri. We are joined by Swim Swim contributors Yin Yin Lee from Madison, New Jersey, and David Clossy from St. Cloud, Minnesota. How's it going, y'all? What What are your Thanksgiving plans? I'm running a 5K on Thanksgiving, and I haven't ran long distance in a while, so I am not sure if I'm looking forward to that or not. Would you rather run a 5K or swim a 5K? Oh God, run. I am <laughs> I I may be a swim writer, but I am a land athlete. I cannot swim. As you can tell by my 230 100 free best time. I am not a swimmer. <laughs> I was about to make the joke of like, oh yeah, swimmers don't go well on land. And then I was like, oh wait, Union's not even a swimmer. <laughs> yeah. I, I would definitely rather uh swim a 5k because I swam distance and I also once broke my hand running. So I think I should <laughs> stay in the water for as many activities as possible. How did you break your hand running? Did you trip I, over? I got tripped up by a teammate and I try to catch myself and it didn't go well. I was going to say, how can you break your head? Like, Yeah, um, right. It's like not the part of your body that's involved yeah. in that activity. Oof. Yeah. yeah, that's rough. That, But that is in true swimmer fashion, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ran once, broke hand. Yeah, never again. Anymore. My mom dragged me. me. My mom dragged me into a 5K also. So uh, I will be running a 5k as well i swimming a 5k would take far too long at this point yeah that would be open water open water <laughs> distance seriously uh on that note let's get into our swimming news for the week we had week one of mid-season there was a ton of fast swimming i want to highlight a couple of the bigger meets starting with the Wolfpack slash nc state slash gac invite uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina, we saw NC State, Stanford, and Arizona State among the teams participating there. What stood out to you most in Greensboro? The Stanford woman. I feel like they haven't been talked about as much this week with all the other really big swims that have been happening at other meets. But I looked at the times, I compiled some stats, and the Stanford woman hold seven out of the 13 top times in the nation for individual events, plus four out of the five relays. They're outperforming Virginia. They're outperforming, obviously, well, we haven't seen Texas swim, but they're outperforming Virginia. And they're, they, and I just think they, as a team, were the best performing team out of all the swimmers at mid-seasons. And you could make the argument that some teams were rested and some teams were not, but objectively, just looking at it, it, at a time standpoint, Stanford has been on a roll. Claire Curzan with the 148.5, 200 back. Tori Husk at having the top time in the 100 fly and the 100 free. It's just all around very impressive. I'm really interested to see what, how, how this team moves forward because usually we see Greg Meehan pretty reserved right for especially yeah. at midseason like they kind of swim through it and for all we know they did no one's ever rested and tapered as we all know in swimming but uh, i mean do you think this puts them ahead of virginia in terms of the favorites for ncaa's because coming out of this meet they looked really impressive and i don't think the depth is there but just what do you think in terms of how this bodes for ncaa's first we have to talk about them beating texas because they were third 
to Texas and Virginia and CA. So we have to see how Texas performs at their invite in December. But I do think it makes the gap between Stanford and Virginia a little closer because we're talking about Virginia. They obviously had some swimmers underperform like Riley Tiltman wasn't at her best. Um, Claire Tuggle and Zoe Skirbel weren't there, so we don't know how they're going to do. Um, there's definitely a lot of variables, but I do think it makes the um, meet a little closer, but obviously we can't tell. But I also want to point out that Stanford's best breaststroker, and breaststroke is their weak point, Ali Rab. she was not there at the meet, and they still did really well consider without her. And they've been using Samantha Tatter on their medley, re- medley relays, and she split 28-0 and 1-0, which is obviously at an NCAA level, that's not going to be good enough. So they have to fix that gaping hole, but we already knew that. But I do think Virginia still has more depth than Stanford, and I think they're still the favorites, but this definitely makes you think. I think if you're just looking at the results from the first week of mid-seasons, it would look like Stanford's in a lot better position to possibly, you know, jump up over Virginia. But you need to think about how many of those top times uh, are either going to be possibly battled as more teams do their mid-season invites. You know, you have more rest systems from those swimmers. And also if the Stanford depth isn't quite there, that's something that is huge for, you know, making those massive yeah. leaps and points at NCAAs. And if it's already maybe not there where it would need to be, as you add in more and more of those fast swims, it's going to push the depth chart down even more for Stanford. But I do think that it was honestly a little weird how I wasn't really thinking about Stanford, but when I was looking at the top times and all the events, it's like Stanford, 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 Stanford. I'm like, did I just not notice it? Like, it was very surprising, a very, I think, exceeded expectations. They kind of quietly snuck in and just grabbing top time after top time after top time, which is very impressive showing from them. We truly got to see how big of a one-two punch Claire Curzan and Tori Huskar for the Cardinal. You throw Taylor Ruck, who is has looked great all season, back into that mix as well, after coming off of an NCAA title and tuner free. And it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> these these women are here to play. Uh, and then they're looking really strong. We're going to see what number two from last year, Texas has next week at the Minnesota invite. But, um, David, give me your thoughts. Uh, what stood out to you the most from Greensboro? Um, I'm going to look on the men's side and it's hard to talk about the teams that were there on the men's side without talking about Leon Marchand, which is actually after the summer, it's obvious that Leon Marchand is a massive threat in the NCAA just in general, just because he is a super stud. But looking at results from last year, obviously he won two titles, but he was only runner up in the 400 IM as well as was actually only the third fastest time because Carson Foster's prelim time did was actually faster than Marshawn was in finals when he beat him. Seeing him assert three really quick times this point in season, as well as looks like toying with the 200 fly, possibly maybe replacing that with the 200 breasts of that or just wanting to swim that because it seems like, you know, that's what his focus is internationally. It'll be interesting to see whether or not he's going to decide to pivot over to the 200 fly instead of the 200 breasts and NCAAs, or this is more just, you know, maybe he's doing more fly training because he wants to kind of keep that long course 200 fly sharp and refined and in his back pocket for, you know, just going into the summer. But I think seeing him and watching Leon Marchand swim now that, 
he's firmly established himself as a threat going into the the rest of this Olympic cycle. It's really fun to watch him just throw down some stupid fast times, as well as Arizona State in general looked really good, has some pretty good depth, especially in the uh, their hundred free was surprisingly deep. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's not just Marshawn all around ASU was great. They had a few transfers step up. Max McCusker, who's a fifth year, came from Florida State. He dropped an 18-5 anchor leg on their 200 free relay, I believe. And he went 42-0 individually. And Jack um, Jack Wadsworth, who is the D3 record holder in the 100 back, I believe. He did pretty well. He swam season best in the 100 back. And he dropped three seconds in the 200 back from a 144 to a 140, 140, 141. I don't remember. But I did the ASU preview um, before the college season started. And I remember saying that the 200 back was a weak point for the team and now they have a guy going 140 which is great so overall not just Marshawn everyone on ASU is just doing really well and I think they're building themselves to become one maybe a top four team ASU is going to be really scary in the next few years and they already are there but I can just see it feels like it's not being capped it feels like they're just going to keep going and going and going it's like where's it going to stop yeah I mean with with uh Marchand having a couple more years. I mean, Cody Bybee, a fifth year, Grant House, a fifth year, both having really solid swims, Jack Dolan's winning events. You know, you see like all of these guys really stepping up um, for ASU in <laughs> in every single event. Patrick Salmon, 42,400 free. Um, you know, it's like even even their the, a freshman, Johnny Kulau, made the A final in the 100 free. He was 43 um, Julian Hill, who's a senior, it's like they, they've got impressive depth, especially in the freestyles, but in a lot of events, uh, and it, it looks like they are, are, yeah, going to be pretty dominant on the flip side. I was surprised at the NC state men and uh, honestly showing in both genders. Um, it doesn't worry me for NC state, but I was a little like, Whoa, because on the women's side, Stanford just came in and dominated. On the men's side, Arizona State just came in and dominated. And the Pac-12 really asserted dominance at this invite. Um, you know, examples in the 100 back, you know, Claire Curzan, 50.1. And then Burkoff, <laughs> whose best is 47.8, NCAA champion and record holder, you know, 51.1. Um, I mean, NC State did have mono, I think going on it wasn't i don't know if it was mono the whole team just a sickness going around <laughs> yeah gotcha. so i think that may have affected their results and what's interesting enough neil's Corstan i'm not gonna pronounce his last name he only swam Corstania. he swam the 53 prelims and that's it and he's one of their best swimmers so i thought that was a little eye-popping they and that again it's important context to have because you could tell something was up and my assumption from just from looking at results was like they must not have rested that much so maybe they were sick you know something was happening where it's like they're not swimming at the level that these other teams are swimming um because they're from the top down like everyone was just looked a little off you know like their freshman michael cotter who had already been 133 in the two free, I believe this season was like 134. You know, it's like, oh, I forgot you, about him. I didn't <laughs> exactly like you were thinking they were going to be a little more impressive. Yeah. And it was just like, OK, something's something's missing here. Um, I mean, uh, 
on the bright side, if there is a time to be a little off, whether it's sickness or whether it's just some other kind of thing that's going to make you, there's things just mean, you know, it's not a total collapse. It's just a little off, right? You know, because we were, you kind of have high expectations for them. And it's not like it was bad. It just was a little like, oh, a little surprising, just like the tiniest amount. If there's a time for that to happen, midseason time to do it much better than conference much better definitely than ncaa's and i personally i've been really high on the nc state men just kind of looking towards the end of the year and i feel like they're going to be perfectly fine after this but it is just a little data point to know like interesting agree uh, but but similarly to the stanford women kind of catching or bridging that gap to the virginia women this meet really bridged that gap for me from the asu men to the NC statement because they not only showed that they have top tier talent, but they showed their depth too. I mean, all their guys really seem to be firing. Uh, I mean, okay. When oh, David brings up the point on how it's best to underperform at mid seasons and not NCAs and or conferences that goes for the ASU men as well, because last year they, they had a lot of their swimmers swim best times at pack 12s and then add a lot at NCAAs where they could have scored a lot more points if everyone was at their best at NCAAs and that applies for them too like they were amazing at mid seasons but they need to continue that momentum into conferences into NCAAs it can't just stop there maybe they're pulling the old Arizona methodology of <laughs> go all in for mid season swim through conference and then massive taper at, at NC. So we'll see what Bowman has up his sleeve. Let's move on to the Tennessee invite <clears throat> where we saw Virginia. We saw Tennessee, uh, the, you know, lots of impressive swims from those two teams among others. What stood out to you the most from Knoxville? I know we're going to get to Virginia later, but what really stood out to me was how well Tennessee did under their circumstances, especially for the women who were missing <clears throat> around half their team, all of their best swimmers, but they still did really well. They beat almost every team there except for Virginia. Josephine Fuller had an amazing meet. She dropped two seconds in the 200 IM. She went 155 low and then she went 150.1 in the 200 back that's second in the nation only behind claire curzan and they had a bunch of their other swimmers step up as well brooklyn dothright in 143.6 in the 200 free mona mcsherry had great swims and i'm just really impressed as to how they really showed out even when a lot of their team was missing and i know having a lot of your team not be there can affect the team culture. It can affect a team's mentality and their performance, but in under their circumstances, they did really well. And I was really impressed and impressed. And obviously with the men, Jordan Crooks, Gwee Karibe, the Tennessee sprinter duo, and they also were just great all around as well. Landon Driggers, a D2 transfer dropped, a lot of time and when he went 341 in the 400 IM um uh there was um Nick Simons he didn't win anything individually but he swam the fastest 200 back time out of the C final and one of the fastest 100 um back times off their BB lay and just overall they really impressed me at this meet as the host team and I know we uh we didn't talk about Virginia that much. I'm gonna pivot into Virginia a bit because that's that's 
with Vir whenever Virginia's in the water, that's yeah. immediately the elephant in the room, right? We, yeah. you know, we're gonna need to talk about. People get uh, mad when we talk about Virginia too much, but like, come on, at, what at else are we gonna you have about? to? Um, I think the about? yeah, <laughs> the standout thing for me is I think that um, we learned a lot last year about kind of the philosophy of hey, you know what, swim what you what excites you, what interests you, swim things that you want to swim, especially you can see that they're able to take advantage of that when they do have such a stack team and that maybe not every single point matters and you can kind of double in different ways. And I think it's a really cool way to see incredibly versatile swimmers just do their thing and just go, oh, I didn't know they can do that. Like Alex Walsh in the 500 free shows that that's yet another event that if she wanted to, she could just go in a final in. It's also really interesting to see, uh, you know, Kate Douglas and Gretchen Walsh uh, going personal best in the, the 200 breasts and 50 free. Those are some pretty big swims for this point in the season, even though obviously midseason swings you prefer for still seeing personal bests of that caliber of that extra echelon of speed is really interesting. I also do think that uh, Tennessee on both men and women were in look good all around. They were showing a uh, on the Tennessee men's <laughs> side a bit more depth than I was expecting. I was because I think, you know, immediately Tennessee like, oh, Jordan Crooks. But then you see that their their 200 free relay was pretty quick all around. They had uh, a lot of I think their their slow split was a like 19 two, but they had the rest was all fast 18s on there. And there were really deep in like the 100 free as well. And that was surprising. I was expecting Tennessee to maybe be a, a bit more like kind of a handful of swimmers up top. And then the most of them kind of further down here, they kind of shifted up a bit more than I was expecting. And that's looking really good for Tennessee going towards the end of the season, just because that depth is going to be really important at either the conference or NCAA level. I was impressed with the Tennessee men's depth as well. Again, they could be one of those men's team that jumps into the top 10, into the top eight. <laughs> I don't know about six, but uh, I got to give a shout out to our editor in chief, Braden Keith, uh, swim, swim savant, swimming guru. He was like, if you want to see an NCAA record on the show last last week, he's like, if you want to see an NCAA record, go to the Tennessee invite. And I was like, in my head, I was like, there's no way there's going to be an NCAA record. So bravo, Braden. He yeah. called it on the last day of the meet, no less. Uh, yeah, which... and we all thought it would be the 50 free, but no, sure. <laughs> it was Kate Douglas going 201 at midseason. And I just want to zone in a little bit on that record. There are so many things I have to say about the Kate Douglas record. I was doing a live recap of the meet while watching the swim. And I, I heard the announcer talking about, oh, she went to a three in prelims. She's going to break the American record. I'm like, are you sure? It's That's still a lot to drop from prelims to finals, especially since Kate, um, she added time from prelims to finals in her 50 free and her 100 fly. And I was on, I honestly thought she would do the same in the 200 breast, but no, 201. And she opened in a 58.7, which is only six tenths off her personal best of 58.1 and prior to this meet it would have been just over a tenth off her old personal best it was a 58.6 and after seeing <laughs> this swim I'm just curious as to how fast she's gonna go at short course worlds because obviously we haven't seen her swim the event in short course meters but I'm thinking about that super suited Rebecca Sony world record two 214 something 214.6 I believe no woman has been under 
215 besides her and i'm just curious as if if she can approach that record i mean it seems like obviously there's a couple factors a it's in australia right which means like yeah. super de duper time change big travel yeah. i mean they'll go early obviously but there's always there's always the mm-hmm. travel factor um athletes usually swim fast anyway though but b uh you know it's like how much is she really going to focus on it versus the NCAA season. However, we see that Kate Douglas swims fast no matter what all the time. Uh, yeah. I think if there's an opportunity for her to chase that world record, this is it. Yeah. I mean, NCAAs is only three or f- three months. It's over three months away. So I think she has time to focus on both stroke course worlds and NCAAs. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. I mean, she's and again, she has the opening speed. She has the closing speed. She's got the natural yeah. flow. <laughs> We've seen what she can do long course. I mean, she's 221. Sony was 219 for uh, for context, and she was 214 in short course. But I think Kate Douglas is just rising and rising, and I, I would not be surprised if she got it. In I hope I don't jinx it because <laughs> I remember during long course worlds, I was very big on Kate dropping a lot of time and then she didn't and ben dornan of swim swim made fun of me for it he he was like where are the k douglas world record truthers now and yeah it was referring to me so hopefully <laughs> i do not jinx her this time truthers. <laughs> <laughs> at least now we have a very good comparable metric you know we're at least going short course to short course yeah. and she's just been faster than she's ever been short course yards so she can Hopefully, we'll at least be able to be faster than she's ever been short course meters. The question mm-hmm. then is, at what trajectory is that faster than yeah. she's ever been short course meters going to take? And will it be enough to surpass an all-time mark? So moving on to every other midseason invite, <laughs> what were you guys' top picks from Art Adamson, Ohio State? Na- name any other invite that excited you and got you going from this past week. I want to talk about the Purdue invite and Jasmine Nocentini. She, prior to this year, she never swam the 100 breast in yards. And she swam it at two dual meets, went one double O, which is extremely impressive. And then she went 58-3, which is almost the NCAA cut. And I just find her so intriguing because of that. She did great in the 50 free, went 20, 21.5. But I'm just curious as to how she picked up breaststroke that quickly. And I know she went a long course best time this summer. And I think that's what made the Northwestern coaches wanted to test the stroke out in yards. And I don't know. I'm just really impressed by that. I think uh, the Art Adamson Invitational, uh, we saw Texas A&M men look really good. They're continuing to prove that they, without Casas, they're not just, you know, uh, right off. They are still a very good team. And uh, Baylor Nelson is looking really good in the IMs. He is uh, currently number two times, both the 200 and 400 IM behind the French elephant in the room in both those events. But looking really good as French well. French elephant. As, <laughs> as well as. Uh, just the uh, Texas A&M men's team in general looked really good in my opinion. And I think that that is a good sign that they are 
looking to make some noise going towards at the end of the season. And I was very impressed by their performance. Another men's team that really stood out. And maybe that was like, because again, it seems like the home teams did really well, right? You have the Tennessee men that swam really well. You have the A&M men that swam really well. You know, I think it's easier to swim in your home pool, but that was another team that was like, oh, okay. Like these guys have a little more depth than I would have expected or that I knew about heading into this week. Um, going back to Nelson Teeny, I just think athletes going to athlete, right? As Braden always says, uh, I mean, obviously she, she's got some sort of gene that makes her her exceptional (laughs) in the water. Like if you can go 21, five, uh, as well as 58-3 in the 100 breasts. I mean, it's very reminiscent of actually quite a few breaststrokers. You have Jessica Hardy. Uh, you have reigning NCAA champion. Her mind is slipping. Or her name is Caitlin, slipping my mind Caitlin right now. Dobler. Caitlin Dobler of USC, who was 56-9 and split 21 or 22 low on USC sprint relays. You know, she split 48-49 in the four free relay. So it's like you you kind of see this often where where you have these uh athletes who can who can sprint free who can sprint breaststroke and for whatever reason it works out for them yeah and it's not just the texas a&m that were doing well the a&m men that were doing well the women were amazing too they had a lot of swimmers who i didn't really hear about prior to this meet just like performing really well julia gorgoric i'm not gonna um She's a freshman. She went 405 in the 400 IM. Olivia Thiel went 51-2 in the 100 fly, 154 in the 200 fly. Chloe Stepanek was doing doubles and triple sessions every night, and she was just killing it. She did not have a single bad swim, very consistent. So it's not the men. The women were doing well, and I guess the hosts in general just performed great. Moving on to our other big event of the week 2022 Golden Goggles happened last night in New York. Katie Ledecky and Bobby Fink were named uh, woman and man swimmer of the year. I don't think there were too many arguments with that one, but there were a few Golden Goggle picks that I thought were kind of iffy. And I think a a few other people might have chosen differently. So I want to get your takes on them. First up on this list, female swim of the year. Went to Katie Ledecky in the 800 free. Yay or or nay? So I'm going to use last year's golden goggles as a precedent. It was Lydia Jacoby's 100 breast versus Katie Ledecky's 800 free and 1500 free. And the common consensus was that Lydia's win was the best, was the race of the year because it was more unexpected, whereas everyone expected Katie Ledecky to win the 800 and 1500. And I think that applies this year as well, whereas Katie Ledecky was always going to be the favorite in the 800 and her time was great. It was fastest in a while, but still, it's just every, it's just your daily Katie Ledecky dominating everyone else. Whereas I think two other races that were a little more surprising to me were Tori Husk's 100 fly and Alex Walsh's 200 IM, particularly Alex Walsh's 200 IM. We haven't seen a woman not named Katinka Hozu go that fast since 2016. And she dropped a lot of time from trials. She went 207.1 and it was just a dominant swim. And 
we weren't expecting her to be that dominant. I remember prior to the World Championships, there was a lot of debate on whether Alex Walsh or Kaylee McEwen would win the 200 IM, and Alex just blew her out of the water. So I think that should have been the race of the year. I actually do agree with the the Katie Ledecky 800 free pick because, yes, it wasn't the most surprising, but it is the race of the year, not most surprising race of the year. Well, it does make sense to sometimes pick that, especially with like a Lydia Jacoby from the Olympics. However, I think the reason why Katie Ledecky's 800 free puts it over the top for me is because it continues to showcase her historical dominance because the fact that we look at it and go, oh, of course, she's going to win. To do that for this is her fifth straight world title in that event. To do that for, I mean, not five years straight, but at least a handful of her career, be like, oh, well, she's obviously going to win. Everyone else is racing for silver, for a silver medal. To do it for that long is very impressive and also just pretty, you know, poetic to be all right, fifth straight. Also, her being within four seconds of her 2016 world record. At this point, especially after one year after a coaching change, that shows some good things that, you know, Ledecky's probably going to continue to be in that realm for at least a little bit. I don't see her going anywhere anytime soon. I just think the fact that it we can't necessarily take for granted that Ledecky is always going to go and win by, you know, this was a win by over 10 seconds every single year just because we're used to her doing it. It doesn't necessarily take away from the impressiveness of her swims. And I think the fact that five in a row that's got to be recognized in at least some capacity. But the other examples that you're pointing to, those are also great contenders. And I do think maybe it wasn't necessarily the race for um, what would have won race of the year was a lot closer than the actual 800 free race was. I have to go with Tori Husk's 100 fly for this one, because historically, I mean, fifth world title in a row for Katie Ledecky, like that is a big deal. But historically, it seems like USA Swimming or Golden Goggles is weighted more on American records, right? Tori House is the only mm-hmm. one in that pack that broke an American record. 55, 600 fly. She won by half a second in a in a hundred, but in also in a race that came down to like a fingernail touch the year prior. <clears throat> so whereas you saw multiple women going 55, 6, 7, 8, she was the only one who went 55, six, everyone else was 56 plus. Um, I mean, Maggie McNeil wasn't there. Emma McKean wasn't there. Jane Fay was off. Ariane Timmis wasn't was... there. Okay. But the okay, the I mean, come on. That. Yeah. Okay. But do you really think Timmis would be Ledecky in an 800 free right now? Mm, I don't no. think so. That is <clears throat> not equivalent. But do I think think Maggie McNeil would beat Tori Husk in a hundred fly right now? I do. My point is Husk broke an American record. And to me for, for golden goggles that, that puts her over the top. It's funny because I remember after worlds when I was ranking the top um, 15 women swimmers and I put Tori Husk over Molly O'Callaghan and I, I said the reason why I did that was because historically Tori Husk swims were closer to the top and all the Aussies came after me and got mad about that. So yeah, I just thought that was a connection. <laughs> Corey Huss swim was the only one of those three yeah. to break swim swam. Precisely. And there should that... be a special award for that. <laughs> if yeah. that isn't a metric taken into account for golden goggles, 
Shame on you, voters. <laughs> Which swim pissed off the most swim swim commenters. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay, moving on. Next, Golden Goggles that uh, I, don't, I don't know about. Relay performance of the year went to the women's 800 free relay. What do you think? Yay or nay? I'm sorry. I just love everything about that 800 relay this storyline coming in they weren't even expected to medal there was this whole thing about how arian titmus's first 200 at the feet was faster than what it took to get second at trials there was a lot of there was a lot of people counting the americans out and then and then it wasn't just the storyline beforehand but then it was the race in itself the lineup everyone was so confused about making claire weinstein lead off katie ledecky swimming third bella sims as the anchor but then they pulled off the race perfectly bella sims went a huge split katie ledecky went her fastest time ever and in a stage where people were saying oh my god ledecky's not going best times and leah smith did great claire once went a best time and just overall they just defied the odds and pulled a really incredible win and even if the times wasn't as fast as maybe australia or what the times were at the Olympics. I just think the race in itself was amazing. And I love that relay. I I agree with pretty much everything you said. One preface, I'm a huge sucker for storylines in any kind of swim. And I especially when it's an award like this, because how are you necessarily going to quantify between like a women's 800 free and a men's 400 medley relay or something like that. The times are nowhere near the same, but storylines are something that I think is so fun to look at. And this race had one of the best storylines, both before where it's like, Oh, this is kind of a like scrappy team that they're putting together. The fact that it has that perfect parallel of two storied veterans and then two fresh swimmers on the world stage. And the fact that you're putting the newbies on the lead off and the anchor that kind of turn raised some eyebrows, <laughs> turns them heads at the beginning, but then it worked and the fact that, you know, Katie Ledecky just ripping a super fast split. And then that final 200, where when you're watching the race, this is where the storyline during the race comes in. You're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be great. Is Bella Sims going to hold on to this lead? And then she extends the lead at the end. I rewatched the race video after uh, the Golden Goggles. I'm like, yep, that holds up, especially during that last 100. I was like still somehow surprised by watching her pull away from australia and i think it's yeah just, and she was against molly o'callaghan as well who i think coming into the meet was considered a better 200 freestyle than bella sims and bella sims just blew past her yeah it was an incredible race both like considering the story during and during the race and before it and i think that that storyline is a super subjective thing but i think in an award like this something that really needs to be considered Storylines get clicks, and that's what's the most important. I think it had to be the men's 4x2 free relay because they went from fourth last year to first this year. Like, they didn't even medal last year. It was, you know, kind of a demoralizing thing for the U.S. men. And then they come back, and they dominate. They win by over three seconds. I mean, to me, that is the bigger storyline than the U.S. women winning against uh, an Australia team that did not have their best pieces there and 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 team Canada Britain didn't have Duncan Scott either so he was a big factor 
to me, it's it's a bigger deal that U.S. was be able to to get back on top in an event that they completely got shut out in than the U.S. women that almost broke the world record in the summer, that was under the the old world record the previous summer before got got gold instead of silver this this year. Last golden goggles that I would like to discuss. Coach of the year went to Anthony Nesty of Florida. Again, this is not knocking anyone who won an award, and I don't even I don't even want to preface this by saying, would you give the award to Nesty? I want to preface this by saying, do you think this award should be coach of the championships? Because obviously Anthony Nesty produced the most gold medals, the most medals of the athletes that train at Florida, where he is the head coach at the world championships. Or do you think it should be the coach of the year where there is a full bodied circumference of what you're looking at, the the, the body of work for the whole year? I mean, the Golden Goggles is prefaced as an awards show to honor the um, U.S. swim team's performances at the World Championships. So I think that should apply for the Coach of the Year award as well. The Coach of the Championships, everything else was centered around the championships. So I just think the Coach's Award should be centered around that as well. And I think Nestle was a good choice. Yeah, I agree both because of the the fact that the overall show golden goggles is supposed to be honoring the previous you know top premier competition from the previous year but as well as the fact that you kind of do need to pare it down to just the one meet when you're looking at something this broad because it can be really hard to try and compare between different meets entirely different formats because if you're going to have say an ncaa coach that's doing incredible things one year you know like they're you know men and women's team are both doing really good it's like well how do you compare an an amount of ncaa titles to amount of world championship medals there's not like a mathematical conversion that like a world championship gold medal is worth three and a half ncaa titles or anything like that i think you kind of just for the sake of just your sanity kind of trying to compare them. You kind of need to focus it all on the same meet and how those performances, how those swimmers are performing. And I do believe that as well, just golden goggles as a whole, you can tell everything is geared towards the world championships. And so I think just to, for the sake of consistency as well, it makes the most sense to have it be the coach of the championships. Does the name maybe need to be changed to, to, Stop the amount of arguing that can happen about it. That could also possibly help. I'm I'm going for that name change because I will argue about it. Uh, because coach of the year to me was Ron Aiken because he's developing three Olympians plus all of his other. But you know, right? He's he's de- <clears throat> sorry, three Olympians last year, three World Championship medalists this year, all in high school. Right, a freshman a junior and a senior while Anthony Nesty, obviously a great coach, but all of his athletes won a ton of medals last year, right? It's like, I don't think anyone was surprised by any of his athletes winning the medals that they did. And this is probably the same thing as the Katie Ledecky effect, right? Where it's like, well, you're counting the medals. But to me, Ron Aiken took two girls who qualified for the Olympics last year and boosted them to world champion as well as two-time silver medalist. Um, Like the development that goes into that 
is worthy of coach of the year in my eyes. Whereas obviously Nesty won the most medals. He should get coach of the world championships. But uh, if we're going to call it coach of the year, give it to the coach of the year. Golden goggles, you know, these are our critiques. Take, (laughs) Take them as you will. Uh, these were the two big events of our week in the swimming sphere. So let's get down to our favorite game, sink or swim. First up today on sink or swim, Carson Foster dropped a spicy 409 500 free in practice at the University of Texas. Hasn't even swum his midseason meet yet. So this begs the question. Should not will he, but should Carson Foster swim the 500 free at NCAAs? I think he should. Um, looking at the results um, for the 200 IM and the 500 free, uh, NCAAs, Texas, I, be- I think is equally crowded in both events. They have Jake Foster and Casper Corbeau, Braden Vines in the 200 IM, and then they have Luke Hobson. David Johnston, maybe Alec and Enyer, the freshman in the 500 free. So I think from a scoring perspective, it doesn't have too much of an effect. But I do think Carson has a better shot at an NCAA title in the 200, uh, sorry, the 500 free. Because his best time in the 200 IM is a 140 Point one, And I think it's common consensus that he's a little bit better at the 200 IM long course than short course. And in the 200 IM, Leon Marchand is the clear favorite. We saw how he asserted his dominance this weekend, and I just don't see anyone beating him in that event. Whereas the 500 free, I think, is a little more open. You could have McGehee, Luke Hobson winning, and there's just a lot more room for him to maybe challenge for an NCAA title. He went faster than McGehee this weekend um, at like an inner squad fast Friday meet. And I think he could be at least a 407, 408, 407, um, maybe even a 406 if he really took the event seriously and swam at NCAAs. And I think he just has a better shot at a title in that event than he does in the 200 IM. I am actually going to sink it because for the fact that the 500 would be the first event in his lineup and doing two 500s on that first day, that's really taxing, especially because I think that Carson is going to be used on medley relays. At least it seems like what they're setting up for is that it seems like he's going to be what they're plugging in as their backstroker. He's been in their dual meets. He's been on their two medley and four medley relays at backstroker. He's been doing, you know, probably going to keep that 200 back on his program. And I think because that wasn't something that he contended with outside of the 800 free relay. He wasn't on those medley relays at NCAAs last year. And I think so you're adding the extra fatigue from those extra races in the medley relays assuming they keep that and then having those two 500s right up front i think that's gonna really add up towards the tail end of the meet and i think he wants to chase leanne marchand in that 400 im so i don't know if he necessarily wants to do two you know over 200 yard races in the same meet because i think at the tail end of that meet he wants to be coming down to leanne marchand because i think he wants to you know he knows he's going to be racing him going forward at world champs and at the Olympics. I think he wants to, you know, battle them in the the short pool as well. And I just think that that 
500 free right at the start of the meet, that's going to pile on too much fatigue too quickly. So I'm sinking it. I'm sinking it for, for the same reason. I think the 200 IM gives him a better shot at an NCAA title for that reason. Do I think he's going to win the 200? No. Do I think he could win the 500? No. And do I think he could win the 400 IM? Yes. And so I like, I think that is his best shot at an NCAA title is the 400 IM via swimming the 200 IM because (laughs) we've seen, we've seen people swimming the 500 free and it did not go well for them at the back end of the meet. It 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 is Has way it more taxing really? than the two hundred. I'm I'm looking at the results for the five hundred free final right now. Ta- Townley um, Haas in two in two thousand nineteen. It just burnt Matt, him. Matt Sades did pretty. Oh no, Matt you Matt Sades did well on the second he, day. How he swam it though. Ta- Townley Haas was also, I think, a splitting error. Yeah. Right, but yeah. we we also don't. We almost never see someone swim the 500 free and then swim the 400 IM and perform at a very high level in both. Katie Ledecky, 2018. Katie Ledecky trains for the mile. Carson Carson doesn't train for the mile. Like if if he did, it'd be one thing because I think distance swimmers do that a lot. They they swim the 500 free, then they'll swim the 400 IM. But do they get top three in both? Like no. Katie Ledecky is also a generational talent that <laughs> could swim anything over a 400 and get top three, like no matter what part of the season she's in. Right. Whereas like if Carson really wants to win the 400 IM, he has to be on 110%. What makes you think he's going to win the 400 IM over Leon? I don't. I didn't say he's going to. I said that is he could. Like I that's mean, his I best think he shot. Also could win NCAs in the five hundred free. You think he can beat his teammate Luke Hobson? Yeah, I think I think he can beat Luke Hobson. He's what? only he's like just over a second slower than him. <clears throat> I think you will change your tune after the Minnesota invite, because uh, Luke Hobson was four oh nine at midseason last year. And he has improved greatly over the past 12 months in swimming. Okay, well, Carson Foster's technically 409 at mid-seasons, and he hasn't even swam his mid-season meet. Right, that's what I'm saying. Is like Carson Foster's 409 right now. I think Luke Hobson will be 408 at least right now after the Minnesota invite. Yeah, indicating Luke gonna go fast. that I don't think Luke's going to lose to Carson in a 500 free. Next up, Maggie McNeil helped LSU qualify their tuner free relay for NCAAs. So the next stepping stone for this LSU women's progression, can Maggie McNeil propel this tuner free relay to score at the women's NCAAs in March? The 200 free relay that qualified for NCAAs, their time was a 127.6. It took a 128.5. To finish 16th they're about a second ahead of that and assuming they don't peak at secs and completely fall apart for ncaas i think they can definitely make it in at least the 200 free relay because that's where one leg can ch- completely change the trajectory of an entire team the most and 
it's not just McNeil. They had Michaela de Villiers anchor in a 22-0. That's almost a 21 split. Peyton Curry, Brooks Curry's sister, went 22-3. So it's like all four legs are good all around. It's not just McNeil. And I think they have what it takes. I'm also going to swim it. I think that McNeil is truly elevating that relay, especially looking at uh, they were 126-6, as you said, at midseason. That currently ranks them at seventh in the country this year. Last year, they were 130-0 at SECs and 137 at midseason. So even if they have a comparable drop from SC- from midseason to SECs, that's going to drop them into the, like, high you know low 126s high 125s i think that'll be enough to lift them up into the scoring position even if other teams are going to approve because we can't assume that you know the 128.5 mark is going to be the same for 16th place this year but i think there should be in the realm where even with other teams even with that bubble getting faster and faster as it likes to do i think they're still going to be within scoring range in that 200 free relay yeah and one second is a lot of legal room a lot of wiggle room for, especially for a tuner free relay, right? Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm swimming this as well. Maggie McNeil is just on a different level this season. She's going, she's going historic swims left and right, dual meets, mid-season meets. I think this will continue at NCAA meets. She might be the first woman to split 19. Who's to say? <laughs> at this rate, <clears throat> I'm not putting it past her. But as you said, as uh, Coach Bishop said. After this relay qualified, she's obviously not only elevating herself, but the rest of the team. Uh, it looks like they have a strong start in this relay, and I think they can get top 16 easily. We're going to play over under. We wrote an article about historically how many sub 145, 200 long course freestyles we've seen on the men's side year by year. In the Olympic year, it was eight. Last year, it was three, the Olympic year being 2021 this year in 2000, in the 2023 season over under 5.5 men will get under 145 in 2023. Okay. So I was listing out men that I think can go sub 145 this year. And I had Popovich, Huang Sun Wu, Tom Dean, Duncan Scott, and Drew Kibler. And I'm saying is over it means more or under means more over means more okay over i'm saying over because i think there's got to be a sixth guy going 145 and every year there's Kieran always Smith's that one best is 144 yeah yeah i think Kieran Smith could maybe go 144 Lucas Martins um yeah i, I just don't i just think there's five I have five clear cut picks and I think there's gotta be a, a six person. I, I agree, who, but there will be. I'm also going over for, you know, Kieran Smith was 145, 16 this year, but he was 144 and change leading off the eight free relay in Tokyo. As well as the fact that looking at the results from the 2022 season, the sixth fastest swim was Felix Albax, 145, 11. Which means that in the Drew Kibler was 01 and Duncan Scott was 02. So we were already incredibly close to hitting that mark this past season. Like you said, you know, once you start looking at kind of like the locks, like unless something horrible happens, Popovich is definitely hitting it. You're going to mm-hmm. hope that Dean and Scott, you know, all these locks you have. And then you got at least one or two people are mm-hmm. probably going to 
jump up into that range. And especially because I maybe wouldn't say, I maybe have a different opinion if the question was, will we have, uh, you know, over under five and a half men in the same final? That probably won't happen. But you have, you know, your national championships. You have relay leadoffs, which like, you know, is where Kieran Smith's personal best comes from. So I think with that extra opportunity for the relay leadoff and the national championships or just other large targeted meets, I think I think that there's a very high likelihood that's going to happen. Yeah, I've got to swim this one as well. I think last year was kind of an anomaly with only three men breaking that barrier, um, which happened at the World Championships. We saw Tom Dean, Huang Sun Wu, and then obviously David Popovich. But uh, I think this year it'll swing back up. Uh, we've only there's only been a few years in history that have seen six or more men get under that barrier. But the time is now. This event is finally catching up to this 142.00 world record. We're finally seeing people going 144s on a regular basis. We're finally seeing one dude going 143 and 142 so it's like i think the world <laughs> has finally caught up we'll see six e- even maybe more six than six uh go under so uh, it's 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 an over for me haley tierney hit a class best 21.850 yard freestyle she is now the number one uh ranked swimmer in that event for the class of 2023 she also hit a pb of 48.5 she was unranked completely no not even an honorable mention for the class of 2023 should these performances put her at bella sims is currently number one for the class of 2023 so i'm not going to say number one should these performances put her at number two for the class of 2023 Okay, so disclaimer, I think Haley Tierney is an incredible swimmer. I interviewed her last week, and I think she has a lot of potential to grow and improve. And obviously, being the best sprinter in your class holds a lot of value because of relays. But I do not think she has the versatility to be that number two spot. Because she her two best events are the 50 and the 100 free, but she doesn't really have any other events where she could potentially score in that NCAs. She swim a 53-100 back, but that's still far from scoring range. But when you look at the number two recruit, Kylie Willem, Harvard commit, she is the 100 fly, 200 fly. I'm looking at her times right now. 200 AM, 200 back, um, maybe the 200 free. I, she has maybe four or five events that she's capable of scoring in at NCAAs. Kevin Gormson, number three. Um, she could probably score in the 200 free, 500 free, maybe the mile. Um, and yeah, I just think Tierney, Haley Tierney is a great swimmer, but she's in a really strong and versatile class. And I just think she's going to need more, more range to be ranked that high. But I definitely think she's up there. I think she's at least a top 10, maybe a top five recruit, but number two i just don't see it i'm also going to sink it for basically the same sweet reasons i do think that having especially with the 50 free being as good as th- that uh looks like her um looking at last year's results the only one that would have scored uh, would have been uh firmly in the like middle of the b final very g- impressive to you know have a nice 50 free scoring time and that's really going to elevate some relay especially with a solid 100 free you're basically hitting most of the relays with 
just those two events right there. But I don't think it's quite enough to contest with uh, the people that would be jockeying for that number two spot behind Sims in terms of having multiple NCAA individual scoring opportunities, at least right now. Easily in the top 10, arguments to be made for the top five, not quite number two, at least yet. If a third event comes around or if the 1500 free, if she just stays a sprint freestyler, but she gets to a point where it's like, oh, easy A final. That's also going to be, you know, because I'd rather take a swimmer that's getting third and fourth than a swimmer that's getting 14th, 15th, 13th. And so I don't think she's quite number two yet, but a very solid addition and an impressive jump to go from unranked to at least in the conversation for number two in the class. <sighs> I can't do it. Yeah, I have to sink it. Uh, she's up there for sure. 21-8. She could never improve and still probably be on Wisconsin relays all four years she swam there, right? I mean, yeah. she's going to be a huge contributor there. She's number one in the class in this. Uh, has to be top two or three in the 100 free at this point now with the 48-5. Camille Spink is number one at 48-1. Yeah, so, so she's a top tier sprinter, which carries a lot of weight. Um, and she's going to be a huge contributor. I, and now she has this amazing improvement curve. If we see her continue on this trend, I think she could hop to number two by the end of this year. If she goes to winter juniors, if she goes to a sectional meet or a championship meet in March, and she, you know, really peacocks out and gets a third or fourth event and a 200 free or a hundred back or a hundred fly. Maybe she's one of those people that does the hundred breasts. I don't know. I'm going to predict that she will be number two by the end of this year, but I'm sinking it for now. Similarly, our last sinker swim for the day, Kai Winkler breaks the 15, 1600 free national age group record with a 42, five. He breaks Caleb Dressel's Florida high school record and the tuner free with a one thirty four one, And he splits 18 point to top it all off. So this is, this is a little bigger should Kai Winkler he's currently number three um in the class of 2024 just behind number one Daniel Deal and number two Cooper Lucas should he be propelled to the number one spot in 2024 I'm gonna sink this as well because when you're looking at his best events the 50 free 100 free 200 free even if he went 42-8, his 53 and his 100 free are still slower. I'm um, 53 and 200 free are still slower than Daniel Deal's times, and Daniel Deal is way more versatile. Like Daniel Deal is faster than Kai Winkler in both the 50 and the 200, and that's not even his best event. His best event is obviously the 100 back, and I just don't really see an argument for him being number one, even if. If he's a sprinter and even if he did really great i could see him moving up to number two but not number one i'm also gonna swing sink it but i think it's by a hair i think they're incredibly close and i've kind of been flip-flopping in my head as i've been thinking about it just because i do think they are that close i think the big thing that says it over the top is because an 18 split is incredibly valuable for relays and i'd love to see you know what his individual 50 free would get to to kind of you know as we continue to compare with uh daniel deal um as well as i think 
at a certain point, the versatility isn't super important because at the end of the day, you can only swim three individual events. And I think having a couple of standout events where you're going to score some big points and especially in, you know, 50, 100 distances where you're going to be really helping on relays. The problem is that Daniel Deal is also really good at those relay distances. Mm -hmm. And as a backstroker, that also means that he's going to, even if, you know, he's at a school that has a really good freestyler where you wouldn't be the medley relay freestyler he can potentially be a backstroke asset on those medley relays as well so that's kind of the the one you know thing that you may be thinking of with that 18 relay split is that always oh, a really good relay value well there's potentially more relay value as well as a bigger value than that 800 free relay but i do think it's pretty close because again that 18 split is pretty impressive and especially if he's able to improve that time in the next couple of years because you know if he's kind of got that david popovich build right now so he might be able to get some even somehow even faster sprint shots uh by the end of the year i'm swimming it i can comfortably swim this one i mean not comfortable it is by a hair but the 42.5 is what really does it for me the combination of 18.9 so let's say 196, free flat start with a 42.5, which would be 41 high from a relay swing. That's a really powerful combination that gets you on a relays in essentially any school in the nation, uh, especially that 41 high. And I, I think when I look at NCAA rankings, it's it's about what do you bring to relays unless you're Katie Ledecky, you know, <laughs> unless you're just completely dominant in your events. And while Daniel Deal does have the versatility, if you're bringing a 134 tuner free with that kind of sprint prowess, to me, that's that is enough. So I'm swimming I mean, it. Daniel Deal went 53-2 in long course this summer, and he has yet to race a major short course meet. So we'll see about that. We might be changing our tunes in yeah. a couple weeks. Yeah. Hopefully all these guys compete at winter juniors and we just get to re-rank the entire class. Yeah. Hopefully. That is our news for the week. Tune in every week to the Swim Swim Breakdown for your week's news in swimming.